Community Alliance with Family Farmers presents Season 2 of the Farmer's Beat Podcast. That's B-E-E-T. My name is Kaylee Fireisel. I work with Community Alliance with Family Farmers, also known as CAF. I'm your host for this episode of the Farmer's Beat, where we hear directly from small family farmers around California for real information and stories behind the food we eat. In this series, we pay particular attention to the innovative work small-scale farmers are doing to keep their food safe to eat and share techniques farmer to farmer. Today, we're sharing all about food safety and the way you can apply these practices to your small-scale farm. To do that, we're headed to an organic microgreens farm just off the coast in Santa Cruz County. I'm Ken Kimes. Our farm is Green Sward, New Natives, and we sell microgreens. We grow and sell microgreens. New Natives specializes in greens like cilantro, arugula, radishes, and kale. They distribute all around the Bay Area, selling at farmers markets, retail stores, and to wholesalers. Ken's been doing this since 1982, but he says he got into farming by accident. It's not like I went to school for ag or something like that. He kind of fell into it and learned the ropes as he went along. You know, we've been at this for 36 years, maybe more than that. Uh, Sometimes I don't want to keep track, it's been so long, but here we are and we're still trucking along. One thing that makes new natives unique is they grow their microgreens in three separate greenhouses, spanning about an acre in total. That's not super large by commercial standards, but greenhouses help manage the conditions for each variety of produce. Some greens take a week to grow, while others need longer. Having greenhouses allows new natives to control each environment accordingly. They also have a pack house on site for washing, spinning, and packing the harvested greens. We grow all year long. And they have 10 full-time employees to ensure everything runs smoothly. Running a small, non-commercial farm is really hard work. It involves lots of challenges and problem solving. But Ken says the meaningful relationships he's forged with customers make it all worth it. One of the favorite things that we do is going to the farmer's market. And if it wasn't for farmer's markets, we might not be farming because it's such a pleasure to get that direct connection to folks. Another another piece that I think farmers really, really like about farming is they're actually feeding people. It's really a very cool thing to do, to nurture people on all those levels. I like it a lot. So I feel lucky to be a farmer. I really do. The coronavirus pandemic has had a significant impact on the farming industry. That includes established farms like New Natives. Ken says that COVID has forced them to completely reimagine the way they do business. We saw a real drop off in sales and it was, it was scary. There was a couple of weeks there where it really looked like the bottom was gonna come out. We're close to the Silicon Valley and we sell to the wholesalers in San Francisco who sell to Facebook and Google. And they've sent everybody home and they had a huge food service. Those wholesalers took a really big hit. Some of them just kind of threw up their hands and we didn't hear from them for weeks. Um, And we'd been working with them for 25 years or so. So that was scary. And then all of a sudden we thought maybe we were going to lose the farmer's markets too. Fortunately, farmer's markets were declared essential business and we were able to keep those open. Shifting their attention to farmer's markets has been one major change since the start of the pandemic. But another change is that COVID has forced new natives to get even more serious about its food safety program. We have 
a pretty robust food safety program in the packhouse itself. And so we didn't need to do a lot. But there were some changes in protocol to ensure new natives could carry out their operations as smoothly and safely as possible. We sanitize every morning anyway, before COVID. And what we do now is we've added in about three more sanitations per day for the near contact surfaces. Everything that's a contact surface is washed and sanitized on a daily basis. And then for the door handles, for the phone, for the cooler handles and things like that, we go along and sanitize those about three more times each day. And then everybody's wearing masks. So everybody, it's required. You know, when you're in the pack house, you've got a mask on. Everybody who comes in, first thing you do is wash your hands and put on a mask. And the way we're handling the mask is we've bought some comfortable masks for everybody, their cloth, and we wash them every day. So everybody has their mask with their name on it. And then they go through the washing and drying process every day. So there's not a whole lot of things we had to do differently. But there are some significant things that were important. And the hand washing and the sanitizing are the two pieces that we really responded to with COVID. Ken likes to make sanitizing easy for his employees. There are sanitizers all around the pack house, and the supplies at the hand washing sink are completely hands-free. Employee hygiene has always been important to the new natives team, but the farm really ramped up their food safety program in 1998. Our farm food safety program was inspired, so to speak, because we used to grow actual sprouts and now we grow microgreens. And the difference between the two is the difference that makes all the difference. We won't go that deep into the difference between sprouts and microgreens, but to summarize, with sprouts it's possible to eat the roots and seeds, and seeds are where pathogens may show up. That's why growing sprouts requires very diligent food safety protocols. Ken remembers an FDA visit back in 1998. We were doing sprouts. They were concerned about sprouts, so they showed up. And it was a shock, believe me, because FDA comes from a totally different world. That visit was a wake-up call for new natives, and it eventually led them to do their first food safety audit back in 2000. Ken admits it was a heavier lift than he initially expected. There was a lot for us to do. There's a lot of things for us to change. So he started with an educational audit, which is sort of a practice round where farmers can ask auditors questions. Ken recommends all farmers take advantage of this resource before jumping into their first real audit. That's what we build our food safety program around, is the audit. And that may seem like studying for the test by doing the testing. It's exactly what it is. To prepare, Ken says he would get a copy of the audit itself with the questions and the scores. And he'll use it as a cheat sheet for how to get a good score once the real audit comes around. A lot of it's a visual inspection, some of it's paperwork, policies, food safety plans, things like that. So we basically built our food safety program around the audit itself, which is for us worked out to be a great guidance. We do all of it ourselves. We found that Working with consultants can be a challenge because the consultant has an agenda of their own. So they're going to be a little more over the top than you need to be. According to Ken, the key to food safety is common sense. It's about staying diligent without going totally over the top. Ken recommends choosing a point person to help you put together a food safety plan and get started early 
as in six months to a year before the actual audit. If you've never done this kind of thing before, it's daunting. Just take it off in small bites. Do the best you can and keep working on it. Don't get discouraged. Try not to devolve into a lot of arguments about what's what. And just do it that way. That's the best way to do it. And then you'll know the food safety part. You won't have to refer to your consultant and so forth. You can do it yourself. Ken likes one audit in particular. It's called Produce Gap's Harmonized Food Safety Standard because it's the most rational and straightforward. This audit comes in two parts. The first covers all things related to growing and harvesting. The second handles everything in the post-harvesting phase. Most farms will need to do the second portion, especially if they're washing the produce themselves, like New Natives does. But farmers won't necessarily have to complete both standards when filling out the harmonized audit. It's more of a question of what works best for you and your farm. Some farmers might even choose their audits based on what specific retailers want. But, a warning from Ken, this can involve a lot of work. He tells us about one large retailer in particular who asked for a GMP audit with HACCP. And a HACCP plan is a whole nother beast altogether. It involves a risk analysis and basically you need to mitigate for whatever risk you identify. Ken was initially intimidated by the GMP audit with HACCP because it requires more documentation than he'd been used to. Plus, this audit pays extra close attention to the critical control point, which is how he sanitizes his produce. But with enough practice, Ken says he eventually got the hang of it. We've gotten through now the GMP audit for, I think, five years now. There's certain parts where we just take a hit because we can't do it. There are certain parts where, because we're smaller, they'll let us slide. Things like, you know, giving everybody a, a security badge when they show up on the property and things like that, that are just over the top. Don't let that stuff throw you, because there's probably a way you can get through it. Ken was gracious enough to walk us through a typical day at New Natives and how he implements food safety practices at his pack house. He starts by showing us the harvest totes. And those are washed every day, and then they're stacked after they're washed, and they're kept under cover. So we have greenhouses so we can do that kind of thing, and we have a pack house that's totally enclosed so we can do that kind of thing. We start that process of the post-harvest there. So we have a clean container that we harvest into. Next, he takes the clean totes full of microgreens into the packing house for an initial cleaning. Ken places the greens into a device New Natives designed themselves. It's basically a bucket with holes in it, which they use to submerge the greens in a sanitizer by the sink. The water has periacetic acid in it, which is measured using test strips. The buckets are rotated by small motors to separate the dirt from the greens. The uh, heavy materials, such as any kind of dirt or rocks and things like that, drop out. And then the chop, the little bits and pieces of product that have gotten chopped up too much, they float to the top. After 15 minutes, Ken takes the greens to a second sink, which is filled with more treated water. And then people line up around that sink and inspect the product and sort through it. And from there, they drop it in by hand into spinner baskets. Here, he spins the microgreens dry by using three large centrifuges. And we spin off the excess water from there. Then we pull that, that basket out. We put the product into a harvest tote. 
which has been rinsed and sanitized. Um, and then it goes to the packing tables. After the microgreens have been packed into bags and clamshells, it's finally time for cooling. New natives will either load the microgreens onto the truck, which has a cooler box inside, or they'll enter the physical cooler itself. That's the piece that we struggle with is the cooling part. You know, it's intense to try and take heat off of produce. You need to do the very best job you can. But that's the basic bit. We go through two sinks and then a rinse. And all along the way, we're using water that's treated with uh, hydrogen peroxide product. And that sanitizes as it goes along. Hydrogen peroxide isn't as powerful a sanitizer as chlorine, but it is effective against things like viruses. The nice piece about the hydrogen peroxide is it's organically approved and you don't have to rinse it off, so it can continue to do some sanitizing as it breaks down into oxygen and water. Ken sanitizes with hydrogen peroxide using Ecolab Tsunami 100 product, which is an antimicrobial water additive. It's known for reducing nearly 100% of pathogens. The best part of hydrogen peroxide is that it's organically approved. Ken doesn't have to rinse it off and doesn't burn the produce either. Even so, it's pretty intense. So make sure you wear a mask while handling the hydrogen peroxide. Ken avoids some of the hassle by injecting the chemical directly into the water line. Then he adjusts and monitors the concentration using a dip strip. Ken says the process of sanitizing the microgreens is delicate and time sensitive. The longer the produce is exposed to the sanitizer, the more effective it's going to be. Since getting familiarized with the HACCP audit, he started monitoring the dip strip multiple times each day. Figuring out the sanitation was just one of the major changes he had to make to be in compliance with the Federal Food Safety Modernization Act and the GAP audit. The second major change was setting up his own pack house. Well, the pack house itself was a really big deal. Before that, we washed our produce in the greenhouse itself, which is not bad. There's, no, there's nothing particularly wrong with doing that. You know, as long as you've got some barriers up, they can be pretty casual. I mean, it can be as simple as a plastic sheet. You just have to know why you did it and what you're doing and what it means. You know, sounds dumb to think about a plastic sheet meaning something, but in food safety, it can mean a lot. The main thing to remember when building your own pack house is to avoid exposed wood in the pack house. If you're going to incorporate wood, the food safety folks will want you to cover the wooden frames with a hard plastic. Oh, and be sure to keep the design simple. The third major change is that Ken keeps extremely thorough records of his various food safety protocols. Oh yeah, there's a whole bunch. Sorry, but there's a lot. Ken keeps records on pretty much everything. Things like checking that the supplies are there at the hand washing sink and recording that. Ken even keeps records on how often the porta potties are cleaned. The HACCP audit requires a whole set of records on sanitizing procedures too like when the water is being treated and how often. He keeps records on best buy dates and the greens that came from each pack house. Oh God, if I had the sheet in front of me, you just wouldn't believe it. Finally, Ken keeps training records as proof that his employees are each up to date on the food safety requirements. Ken trains each employee on food safety as soon as they start the job. They have the employee sign a form as a record that they've completed the training, which comes in handy when performing the audit. All this might sound like a lot to keep in mind, especially for a small-scale operation, 
But according to Ken, with time, it'll all become part of your farm culture. There's a lot of pieces to a food safety plan. I feel like the best approach to take is for the farmer is to get the audit and work your way through the audit and get yourself an educational audit if you need it. Build yourself a simple building, uh, whatever it is, and make sure it's cleanable and just go for it. You can do it. You know, just take, just don't try and do it all, all in one weekend because <laughs> it's mind-blowing. <laughs> Looking to update your food safety plan and prepare for a third-party food safety audit? Head over to our website, CAF.org. Under the Programs header, click on the Food Safety and then Food Safety Plan Templates. On that page, you'll find a template that you can use to create your own food safety plan. That is an excellent first step to take whether or not you are preparing for an audit. Also, follow us on Instagram at calf underscore fam farms to stay up to date on when new episodes are released and to see pictures from the farms being featured in this podcast. The Farmer's Beat would not exist without funding from our grantors. The California Specialty Crop Small and Medium Scale Farm Food Safety Technical Assistance Program, which includes this podcast episode, was made possible by the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Agricultural Marketing Service. Its contents are solely the responsibility of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of the USDA. Are you a farmer interested in food safety or have a question related to this podcast? You can contact us at farmersbeat@calf.org. Thank you for listening and join us for the next episode from CAF, sharing farm fresh insights right from the field and giving voice to sustainable agriculture since 1978.